Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We are going to continue our teaching series through, uh, through this series called In Jesus' Own Words. Um, if you came in a little bit late and you're looking for the Journey Kids, they've already dismissed. If you're interested, you can go out that door and hang a left. You'll see the signs. Oh, well, you follow David. There you go. Um, out to the left, and uh, if you're interested in uh, taking your kids to Journey Kids. We uh, started a, last week, I told you that there was this, these two messages were really uh, part one and part two. And so you're thinking, oh man, I, I wasn't here last week. Well, it's on the podcast, so you can check it out there. But if you haven't had a chance to listen, we, we, last week we talked about Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. This week we're going to talk about Jesus walking on water. And the reason why I'm so excited about these two, in fact, I scheduled it to where this message would be right here months ago. I scheduled to this message would be today because I knew we would have a larger crowd because, well, when you feed people, you have a large crowd, right? Oh, offering. Thanks, Leslie. Let's pass our offering baskets. Um, appreciate it. Thanks. If you have your guest card, please put that in. Uh, thanks, Leslie. Um, I scheduled it for today because I knew that we'd have a, a larger crowd because it's Thanksgiving, and I really believe that what we're going to see today is just, it's life-changing. It really is life-changing. So I have really high expectations for this morning, and usually what happens when, when I have huge expectations, it just falls really flat, you know, so we'll just see how it goes, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. But last week, we had, um, we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000. We've, we've heard that story, you know, our entire lives, and it's always been about a really, really awesome display of Jesus' power and his, his, his creative power, taking a couple loaves and feeding a lot of people with it. But what we looked at last week is it's, it's a lot more than that. We saw how Jesus Christ himself is there in this desolate place, and in a desolate place where there was no life, no, nothing to sustain people, Jesus enters the scene and he actually feeds them so much that the Bible says they were, starts with an S, do you remember? Satisfied. And so we saw how that's a picture, a picture of how when we enter the world, we enter in Adam in the most desolate of places, lifeless, unable to purchase, like they were unable to purchase the food for themselves, unable to purchase righteousness, unable to purchase okayness with God. But then Jesus enters the scene, and when we're in the most desolate of places, we become satisfied. More than enough, Jesus more than enough righteousness. He hasn't just made you a little bit righteous. He has made you more than enough righteous. The gift of Jesus Christ himself. 
the disciples, when Jesus told them to go pass out this, you know, food and stuff, they were they they didn't believe it. They didn't understand. They they didn't see what was going on. Their eyes were focused on the fact that they had five loaves. How, what is this amongst so many? They doubted, and so they didn't really understand what was going on. They didn't understand that there's a a spiritual reality that Jesus is on the scene actually revealing to us. And so immediately, this is the first verse of the next passage. This is in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus does something. He puts his disciples in a boat and he tells them to row to the other side. Now, the disciples, most of them, not all of them, were experienced what? What was their trade before they became disciples? Fishermen. Very good. Were any of them experienced bakers? Not that I know of, right? So none of them had any experience with taking loaves and multiplying them. But almost all of these fish uh, uh, disciples were experienced in crossing over the ocean, crossing over the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Here's what I want us to see real quick before we even jump into this. When Jesus told them to feed 5,000, they said, ain't going to work. It's impossible possible we can't take five loaves and feed five thousand people with it it's impossible and then what did they see jesus do fed five thousand men with five loaves right the very next command that jesus gives them is get in a boat and row across the sea now i don't know about you but if i was one of those disciples and i just had jesus tell me to feed five thousand people with five loaves something impossible and i just saw him do it and then he tells me to do something i know i can do i'm hopping in the boat and i'm going to show you hey i'm not disobeying this time i'm going to do it and i'm going to do it to the best of my ability with all of my energy and all of my effort i'm going to get across the ocean uh, uh, I keep, saying, uh, keep saying ocean across the sea of galilee because i've done that i can do that i can obey Jesus. So we're going to see the disciples try their best to obey Jesus. We're going to see them fail at it. And then we're going to see Jesus enter the scene and do it for them. Man, what does that sound like? That sounds like the gospel. Us trying our best to obey us and our religious spirit trying our best, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to do right and to not do wrong, us trying our best to do it, but failing upon failing upon failing. And then Jesus enters the scene. Growing up, I always uh, associated Jesus walking on the water. The, the moral lesson was having to do with what disciple? Peter. Everybody you familiar? Peter, right? Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Um, I don't want to jump to the end of the message right now, but I'm just going to throw this out there that really it might not have anything to do with Peter. Um, but you can decide that on your own when we get there. So I'm going to share a couple of thoughts as we walk through. I think it's just five or six verses. It's not a lot. We'll have some time of discussion and then we'll um, eat some food. So Jesus, uh, the, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. Verse 46, after bidding them farewell, so after saying goodbye to all the 5,000 men and all their 
families. He went to the, he left for the mountain to pray. So if you're newer with us, a lot of times we'll, we'll read a little bit, we'll talk about it, we'll share some thoughts, we'll read some more, share some thoughts, and then we kind of wrap it up with a, one idea, we call it journey marker, one idea to sort of wrap our minds around this whole thing. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, so you have Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes away to pray three times. The first time Jesus goes away to pray, he goes away to pray, and after he prays, he goes and he starts enlisting his disciples. So these are the men who are going to spend the rest of well, the next three and a half years of their life, but the rest of their lives, uh, with Jesus, either physically or spiritually, and they are going to, every waking moment, you know, they're going to be with Jesus, to eat with Jesus, sleep with Jesus, travel with Jesus, learn from Jesus. They're right now, they just saw Jesus feed 5,000, and he just told them to get in a boat and cross the river, across the sea of Galilee, I don't know, the body of water. Um, and so Jesus goes up the first time. There's three times in the book of Mark Jesus goes off to pray. The first time is before selecting his disciples. I would say that that's a pretty big moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's the beginning of his ministry when he's selecting the 12 men who are going to spend the rest of their lives. They're actually going to give their lives, all of them, for the gospel in one way or the other. Even Judas died because of this thing. So I would say that the first time Jesus went away to pray, it was a pretty big moment in, in the book of Mark. The third time that Jesus went away to pray in the book of Mark was when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was what? The night he was arrested and he was crucified the next day. He went, we're familiar with this, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so earnestly that the Scripture tells us that his sweat became like drops of what? Blood, hematidrosis the medical folk out there the pressure was so high that his capillaries actually burst in his skin and sweat became out his his forehead his his body i would say that was a pretty big moment in the ministry of jesus when he went away to pray in the book of mark the night of his arrest so you had the first time he went away to pray the night that he when he went to select his disciples the, the last time he went away to pray was the night of his arrest. The only other time that Jesus goes away to pray by himself in the book of Mark is right here. So I don't know about you, but if the first time he went away to pray, this huge moment of selecting his disciples happened, and the last time he went away to pray, it was this huge moment of you know, his crucifixion and his, uh, his arrest and his crucifixion the next day. I don't know about you, but if, if I hear Mark saying now he goes away to a mountain to pray, I've got this little, these antennas going up saying, man, something big is about to happen. Well, what is it that's about to happen? Let's keep reading. When it was, the, verse 47, yeah. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And Jesus was alone on the land verse 48 this is so cool seeing them straining at the oars isn't that so vivid straining at the oars for the wind was against them we're gonna take a pause right here make sure we're on the same page so jesus is up on the mountain disciples get in the boat sea of galilee as we've talked about before, before, these fierce storms were notorious for coming up during 
uh, at, at random times, the way that top topography works, they couldn't really see what was coming from the west as the weather traveled from the west to the east. And so these big storms would come out and they would rush down the mountain range and they would catch the people off guard. And apparently this is what's happened here. The very thing that was so easy for them to do, so simple, something that these disciples had done a million times probably, cross the Sea of Galilee, for they were all, most of them, what by trade? fishermen the very thing that was so easy for them to do jesus we can obey that command all of a sudden was impossible that which was impossible feed the five thousand became possible right before their eyes and the very thing thing they thought was so simple across the sea of galilee is now impossible Bible says at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them now what's the fourth watch of the night that's between 3 3 a.m and 6 a.m in the morning so so let's just imagine this Jesus he feeds the 5,000 he puts the disciples on a boat to cross over it's late it's evening time let's say five o'clock or so let's just imagine it's still daylight it's getting close to dusk they're starting to go across jesus goes up on the mountain to what pray good job will to go up on the mountain to pray and it wasn't until the fourth watch before he starts coming to them three o'clock at the earliest in the morning six o'clock at the latest so if he put them on the boat that evening before let's just say around five six o'clock at night it could be maybe as long as 12 hours of them in this sea of galilee rowing with all of their might trying to do something that should only take maybe an hour hour and a half tops that they've done a million times before in their life and how far had they gotten anybody remember that red word that i put up there middle They'd only gotten to the middle. I mean, they weren't even halfway there. Or maybe they were just about halfway there. And it is maybe as long as 12 hours, maybe only 8 hours. But regardless, they had spent all this time trying their hardest, straining at the oar to do something that they were told by Jesus to do. Now, he comes to them. How does he come to them? Well, logic would say, well, he hops in a boat and he comes to them well think with me if you've got 12 disciples i mean 12 one of them's a tax collector so we can't really call him a a manly man but you got at least 11 of them that are i mean men manly men right and they are rowing and nobody's a tax collector here sorry if you are i apologize and it's as long as 12 hours they've been rowing and they're only halfway there How in the world could Jesus get in a boat and in his own physical, natural strength row out to them? I mean, if 12 people rowing can't get halfway in 12 hours, how could Jesus in a boat get to him on his own physical ability? Do you see that? So he does something much better. He does something much cooler. The Bible says that he walks on the water. Walking on the water now look i know that we are an enlightened culture i know that we are um much wiser and smarter to think that 
a man could walk on water. Um, and yeah, it's, it's crazy. And we'll get into some of this in a minute. But grammatically speaking, remember earlier where the scripture said that Jesus was on the land? That same preposition, on the land, is the same preposition that Mark uses to say that he is walking on the sea. No critic, no skeptic would ever today, they did in the past, ever today would, would deny the historicity of Jesus being on the land. Okay, meaning, no one denies that Jesus was an actual historical figure that actually lived on earth. Sure, they deny his deity. Sure, they deny you know, that he's God. Absolutely. But no one denies that he's on the land. Well, it's that very same preposition that Mark is saying that Jesus, that same one that no one denies was on the land, is now on the sea. Now, many people would say, well, we've got to explain this somehow. There's all sorts of theories. One theory is that there is this elaborate underwater dock that was constructed by Jesus during, you know, the night or something. Um, maybe, you know, he was a carpenter, you know. Um, Others say, well, it was actually this really unique sandbar that, was cr- that you know, existed. Maybe. Um, but sometimes you just have to think, you know, coming up with or believing some of those alternative ideas sometimes takes more faith than it does just believe that Jesus actually walked on water. Um, Skeptics are unwilling to admit that Jesus actually walked on water because if Jesus actually walked on water, then Jesus is walking where only God can walk. You see that? And that's exactly what we see happening here. The authority of Jesus as God in the flesh is on full display. Remember back to Genesis chapter 1. Before the creation of the world, the six days of creation, God hovered over the surface of the waters. Remember that? Immediately, this is so amazing. Listen to this. Before creation in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovered over waters. And then He started creating. Day 1, day 2, day 3. And now we have Jesus about halfway through His ministry. God in the flesh now walking on water just prior to a new creation. Just prior to the old being put away, behold, all things have become new. You see that? So just as God thousands of years before hovered over the depths of the water before He created what we know of creation, now Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, is walking on water just prior to the introduction, just just prior to the creation of what we call the new covenant, the new creation. Jesus, He sees their distress. He sees their pain of trying to cross on their own effort. He spent this entire night communing with the Father. The other two times, remember, He prayed Right before the disciple, he selected the disciples, then he prayed right before he was arrested, and he's praying right here in the middle of the night. Jesus leaves the mountain and he goes down from walking on the land 
something that's simple and natural to now walking on water, something that is divine and supernatural. And then you have this most peculiar phrase. And he, look at this. I'll even point to it. I might squeal the microphone, sorry. And he intended to pass them by. What? Has this Jesus that we think is like this super compassionate, super loving, feeding 5,000 people now turned into a jerk with his own 12 men? Saying, hey, I see you back there trying to, yeah, don't you wish you were cool like me walking on this stuff? <laughs> Intending to pass them by. What in the world is going on? The Greek, literally, he desired to walk past them. The, the King James make it, makes it sound like he was walking past them until they cried, and then he, hearing the cry, he turns back. But that's not really what the original language actually is saying he willed he desired to pass them by man if we can see what this i think is all about our understanding of the new covenant will be revolutionized see to us gentiles this makes no sense why in the world would the christ who's come to help people why would he desire to pass people who are in the most need of help? What's this all about? Well, Jesus is walking on water, something that only who can do? God can do. He's just created food for 5,000 men out of five loaves, something that only who can do? God can do. And now he says he wants to pass them by. Where else in the Scriptures does God pass by, walk past people? There's three that I found. You might know of others. I don't know. There's three that I found. The first that I found, well, not in chronological order, but the first that I'll mention is with Moses. If you remember, Moses was uh, leading a very stiff-necked people, the Israelites, uh, out of Egypt and Moses was in a period, uh, we'd call it a, a funk, a depression. He was in a period of not knowing what to do and how to do it. And Moses just cried out to God, say, God, could I just see you? Could I just see your face? Could I just see you? And God said, no, you can't do that because if you see my face, this is thing called, you know, incompatibility. You're off. You're toast. So what God does graciously is he says, I've got this little cleft which that's a huge teaching all in and of itself that we'll have to save for another day. But there's this little cleft, there's this little spot in the rock where I'm going to place you and I'm going to cover your face with my hand and I'm going to walk past you to let you know that you're not by yourself, Moses. And then when he walked past him, he took his hand off so that Moses could see the what? The backside of God's glory. As a result, his face shone. So in a very temporal for a very temporary period of time, God walked past them, Moses, in order to encourage Moses for Moses to know that he's not alone. There's a second time that I read in the scriptures where God walked past somebody, and that was in, uh, with uh, Elijah. 
Elijah has just called down, you know, fire from heaven. Remember the prophets of Baal? He just called down heaven, and it was like this, you know, big, huge, you know, nay, nay, you know, it's like, look what I, you know, you're, you guys are out there, you know, cutting yourself up, you know, and look what God did. It's this amazing mountaintop experience, literally, Mount Carmel. And then he finds out that Queen, is it Jezebel? Is that right? Jezebel? One of the queens, I think it was Jezebel, was seeking his life. And so what does Elijah do? He goes and hides in, a, I think, a, a cave. And as he's hiding in the cave, he cries out to God. He says, God, basically, paraphrase, I'm all alone. I can't. Are you not there? So God passed by. There was this big windstorm, this big fire, all this stuff. But God wasn't in that. It was this little, sweet, small voice. Again, paraphrase, God basically saying, Oh, Elijah, if you only knew what I really had, if you could see what I see, you'd realize that you're not alone, Elijah. And in that moment, there was a very temporal relief for Elijah. Because he knew that he was not alone. There's a third time in the Old Testament where God walked past someone. And I'm going to read this because this is so cool. This is with Job. You know, Job. Job was talking about how no man can understand the holiness of God. And Job says, God alone stretched out the heavens. Look at this. This is Job. I mean, this is thousands of years before jesus walking on water god alone stretched out the heavens god alone walked on the waves of the sea wait did he just see this with mark no this is thousands of years before god alone walks on the waves of the sea behold he passes by me and i see him not he moves on, but I do not perceive him, meaning I, I can't understand him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? Like with Moses and Elijah, Job paints this picture of a God whose, whose holiness and his majesty are matchless and therefore distant from him. Who can call to him? Who can who shout to him for him to come back? He is God, a picture of someone who is holy God and God holy, whose holiness is so far beyond their own to the point where you can't even perceive him, understand him. You can't see him, can't perceive him, can't call him back. This is a God whose righteousness and perfection causes fear and trembling in the eyes of those who seek to behold him. This is a God whose very act of walking past Moses and past Elijah and past Job really reminds them of the hopelessness that they have to match up to his holiness. And I think that's what these disciples are realizing. Look at the next verse, verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they were all for for they all saw him and were terrified they were scared and i would say yeah rightly so see a man walking on water as jewish men they knew what this meant they knew this power they knew that they were terrified the image they see is not familiar it looks supernatural they say like a ghost and they're exhausted from 
hours and hours of trying to cross the sea and they're not even halfway across. They're working. They're working to accomplish Jesus' simple command of crossing the sea. But the harder they try, the more difficult it gets. And like rats in a religious maze, they're just spinning their wheels, paddling and paddling, but getting nowhere. So Jesus, who just created enough food for 5,000 people to eat, something only God can do, he spent all night communing with the Father, and he's now walking on the water, something that only God can do. And he's actually walking past them, walking like God walks. But something different happens. Something new happens. Something foreign happens. Something gracious happens. The very same God who in the old covenant had to walk past them because they were incompatible with him, whether it be Moses, Elijah, or even Job, completely incompatible. But now something new has happened. Look at this. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Verse 51, then he got into the boat with them. That's huge. That's huge. It should be in red, but I forgot to put it in red. He got in boat into the boat with them. And when he got into the boat with them, the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. So, Let's make sure we see this. The same Jesus, the same God who walked past Moses, past Elijah, past Job because of their distance, because of God's holiness and the sinfulness and the wickedness of man. This very same God is the very God now who had become a man to die on a cross, to usher in what we know of as the new covenant. So now God no longer walks past man. God now walks in with man there's no need to be scared jesus says because i'm here no need to be panicked i am here no need to be terrified i am here in fact go back to that last verse if you don't mind ricky this phrase here it is i this doesn't sound like it in english but this phrase it is i is the exact same phrase that god used that you talk, talked about a couple weeks ago, the burning bush in Hebrew that says, it means I am. In English, we would kind of say, or Hebrew, it's either uh, uh, Jehovah or, uh, or um, oh, I just went blank, uh, Yahweh. Jehovah or Yahweh. I am. This is the exact same phrase in Greek as that phrase. Ego, me. Not lego, my ego, but ego, me which means I am. It is I. And so the very same God who walked past Moses, past Elijah, past Job, who's walking on water like God walks, walks past people like God walks, He's now calling His very name the same name as God. I am. It is I. But why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus walk on water? Why does he get in their boat? Why does he do this? Look at this last verse, and we're going to share some closing thoughts. Verse 52. Four. And I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. 
F-O-R, it always is to explain something that was previously stated. For, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Jesus walks on water to help them better see the real picture, the real reality, what we saw last week with the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus Christ himself is our bread, the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ from the most desolate of places creates life so much that there's satisfaction. So he walks on water to help them understand something they didn't get last Sunday about the feeding of the 5,000. Here's what I want us to wrap up with seeing. I hope that you see in the new covenant that God no longer walks past us as some sort of distant, far away, angry God. God whose holiness is so far beyond ours, we would be, we would Burn up if we were still in Adam, if God were to come into our lives, into our boat like he's done here with these disciples. You would burn and die if you saw his holiness because of the wickedness of our sin. But Jesus Christ has come. He's come not to eliminate or reduce the holiness of God. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to eliminate the sinfulness, the wickedness of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so now, having been born of Him, being placed in Him, and Him now in us, we actually are the righteousness of God. He has taken our sin and He's exchanged us with His righteousness. And the new covenant is clearly seen in this Jesus who is God walking on water with the intention of passing them by just like always in the old covenant, but now in the new covenant is able to come in and be with us. In the new covenant, Jesus has removed everything that stands between us and God. Hanging on a tree, Jesus became our sin so we could be okay with God. Here's our journey marker. Our journey marker this morning is in the new covenant, the very same God. We're not talking about two different gods here. It's the very same God who was far, distant, No one could see him. No one could touch him. No one could, I mean, put your hand over Moses' face in order to walk past him. In the old covenant, in in the new covenant, the very same God who was far and distant and past is now in the new covenant united, joined, intimate, one with us. And before we open up the floor for some discussion, let's say, well, wait a second. What, what about Peter? We just read that whole thing and there wasn't even a mention of Peter. Well, I hate to bust some of our Sunday school bubbles, but there's of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only three of the Gospels actually record Jesus walking on water. For some reason, Luke doesn't record it. So it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in John. Did you know those who read my Facebook post this morning do. Did you know that of the three books, 
that record Jesus walking on the water, only one of them, Mark, uh, Matthew, mentions Peter. Did you know that? I didn't know that until a few years ago. So that means that if the walking on water is all about Peter getting out of the boat and impressing Jesus with his faith, impressing Jesus by keeping his eyes on Jesus to walk on the water. And you remember how it worked? The, the wind came and he sunk. If the whole point of the walking on water was be like Peter, and maybe it is, but if the whole point is you try your best to be like Peter, then if you have Mark's Gospel and if you have John's Gospel, then you don't get the point. The Holy Spirit failed you if that's the point and you were in the catacombs of Rome with this one letter we call the Gospel according to Mark. So that just forces me to think, man, maybe there's something bigger than be like Peter in this thing of Jesus walking on water. And maybe, and I know this might be controversial, but I've said a lot of stuff in life during this controversial Maybe the whole point of this is not that Jesus wants you out of your boat trying to impress, trying to do, trying to perform. Maybe, maybe the point of this is to demonstrate that in the new covenant, God himself comes into your boat. Does that make sense? He comes into your boat to reveal His glory now through you in this dark world. In the new covenant, the very same God who was far from us is now joined, united to us. You see, like Moses and Elijah, the disciples, they were trying to accomplish something on their own strength. They were trying to do something that they had done a million times, just cross the Sea of Galilee. They really wanted to fulfill Jesus' command, but they just couldn't. They really wanted to obey Jesus perfectly, cross over, but the wind was against them. And it wasn't until Jesus entered into their boat that they were able to accomplish his command. Ricky, go back to that verse, if you don't mind, where it says that when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. You see that? It wasn't until Jesus came into their boat, into them, that the wind, the obstacle, the thing that was preventing their obedience actually ceased. In fact, in, the, in John's Gospel, John's account of this, it says that when he gets into their boat, they immediately were at the shore. Read it for yourself, if you don't believe me. Immediately they arrived. Remember the old uh, GPS, you know, they say, you have arrived, you know? Immediately they had arrived. Why? Because Jesus had gotten in their boat. All of their efforts, all of their straining, all of their labor to try to be obedient, all of their efforts to try to obey God as best as they could. As soon as Jesus got in, it was done. The great mystery of the new covenant is that the Christ has come to unite himself to you. That wasn't possible in the old covenant. The sin of man and the holiness of God were at odds with each other. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have life. God has no desire for you or me 
to try to demonstrate our own ability to be good and to do good without him. It doesn't work. The law proves it. Jesus' confrontation, which we'll see in a couple weeks with the religious crowd, proves it. Peter's sinking even sort of proves it. God doesn't want us proving our own righteousness, proving our own worth. God desires to remove from us our heart of stone and give us a new heart that is joined to Him, abiding in Him. In other words, here's my thoughts, my submission to you, is that the walking on water, when we read this, we can come away with it with this picture that God's great mission with the sending of His Son, Jesus, was not to double our efforts to try to get somewhere, but it was for us to have Him come into us so that immediately we are where He is. Does that make sense? Why did He walk on water? Because they didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was all about Jesus showing that He had come to take the desolate and make it satisfied. They're rowing as hard as they can, but they can't do it on their own. And as soon as Jesus steps into their boat, immediately they've arrived. Well, those are some of the thoughts that I have about this walking on water in Jesus' own words, getting to know some of the mission and the power Certainly the miraculous reality of Jesus. But I think, I could be wrong, if we leave the walking on water or any other passage with some sort of double down effort to do more and be more and try harder, be like Peter, I think we might be missing what this is really all about. I could be wrong. So we have a few minutes before we need to start into our lunch. Maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. If anybody has any comments any thoughts any suggestions any but what about any hey but you totally forgot about you know whatever this is a time this is a chance for the fellowship of our church visitors of our church to just speak into the scripture maybe you have a word of encouragement something that is yeah that's for later scripture that um we're you'd like to uh you have a question about maybe it has nothing to do with this morning i don't know Anybody? Jeff, thanks. Uh, uh It's really fascinating. Um, I still don't understand why he intended to pass them by. Uh, The question is, was he going somewhere else or or something? My, My just hunch, my thought is, maybe he was passing them by probably until there was a a cry of faith from Peter, right? Uh, they had to ask or, you know, kind of express desire for help in that way. Yeah, but that, that's just a thought. Yeah, but it doesn't say that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't give it. Go back to that previous verse 50, 50. For they saw him, they were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. So according to this, they didn't even cry out for help. They were just scared. So, I just take it as those passages from the Old Testament of how he's walking like God always walked, but in the New Covenant, it's totally different. It's totally different. Derek? But that's just my... 
take on it. Uh, so what do you think um, the reason in, uh, I guess it was Matthew, that it does mention Peter walking on water? I heard uh, something um, back when I was in college about, like, each of the Gospels trying to, like, make a certain point. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if that's relevant at all. Or... Yeah, I'm not taking away from what I think is great teaching. In fact, a guy that I learn a lot from, his name is James Barron. He's come here and spoke several times. He has a great teaching about Peter, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was above the winds and the waves. You know, and I mean, I think that's a very valid, valid thing. But I'm just saying if that's the only takeaway of the walking on water, then two of the three Gospels, you just kind of throw them away because they don't even mention Peter. And so if those other two don't even mention Peter, there's got to be something more, something else there. I don't want to say hidden, but just something else there that we haven't, that I haven't really paid attention to. And it's the fact like John's gospel especially says when he got in the boat, they immediately where they were trying for 12 hours to labor to get. I just, I just see that so much in my own life. Of, I've tried and tried and tried to be okay with God. I've tried and tried and tried to be close to God, so forth and so on. But it's, it's not my effort that's going to get me there. It's Jesus actually, his finished work, completing it for me. Um, so I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying, there's got to be more. If otherwise, then we don't have the whole story in those two Gospels. Awesome. Yeah, John. I was thinking about that thing too about Jesus passing by him, <clears throat> and the I kind of come kind of come along with the same thought, but by what's been said, I kind of maybe seeing things, seeing a little different. And what he just said made me think about it from a little bit different perspective. Jesus intended to pass by them and until, for the sake of talking, for the point, to make the point. And I think Peter, back in Matthew, maybe was a different you know, Matthew maybe had a, a different perspective of what happened. And if you combine the two, mm-hmm. Peter maybe was a little bit like doubting Thomas. He had to physically involve himself to really prove the fact that hmm. yeah. it was. Okay, that being hmm. said, and then when you said the point about when he got into the boat, John made the point, and I think John, I've said this before, I think John probably understood Jesus different than maybe some of the other disciples did from the perspective of grace. Hmm. And when <clears throat> they realized who they were with Christ, they were immediately there. They tried for 12 hours to get somewhere they were already at but never knew it. They, they, mm. couldn't, they didn't have the revelation of who they were. And coming from, you know, fairly religious background myself, you know, you're already there. You accepted Jesus Christ years ago, and you do all these works and try hard to be better and all this. And then when you finally realize, come that Jesus reveals to you who he is, and in this case, he was going to, walk past them on the water when you do realize who you are in Christ you automatically where you was trying to get (laughs) you were there the whole time but from our human perspective you can't see it and until you understand who you are in Christ you're going to continue to be in the middle in your mind and in your heart Uh, I understand completely I just thought that was kind of neat I've seen that I just thought that was kind of a neat perspective awesome thanks John Will yeah um, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why didn't he just like go around and 
preach about him instead of crucifying himself and suffering on the cross. Yeah, it's a very gruesome thing that he did, isn't it? Um, the the uh, and this might not satisfy, but the the economy of God is such that blood had to be shed in order for sins to be forgiven. You see that in the Old Testament with the sacrifices in the temple, you know, the goats and, you know, sheep and, you know, etc. So the, there, in order for sin to be atoned, sin to be forgiven, there had to be blood that was shed. And so, in fact, Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so someone had to bleed. Someone had to die. In fact, the wages of sin is death. That's the, that's the consequence of sin. It's death. And so someone had to die. Someone had to bleed. And God loves us so much that he actually became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And as he died, he died not only for us, yeah, he died for us, but we who believe in him actually died with him in the spirit. Our old man was circumcised, cut out, placed in Christ, and we died with Christ, buried, raised a whole new creation. So the desire of God was such that this world, because of sin, God could have no longer any relation to this world. That's why he had to cover Moses' eyes. That's why he had to, you know, in a still small voice talk to Elijah. He couldn't actually be with it with Elijah. And so in order to rescue us from this kingdom of darkness, there had to be someone who could put an end to, the, to sin. And that came at the price of someone's death. And that's what Jesus came to do. Now, why a cross? Why crucifixion as opposed to just kind of simply dying in their sleep? Um, you know, I think that's a bigger question. Uh, why couldn't Jesus have just, you know, died peacefully instead of excruciatingly? Um, I think it's because um, the crucifixion is, as far as I know, the most excruciating death. In fact, the word excruciating actually comes from Latin that means out of the cross. Get it? Excruciate. See the cruci there? It's out of the cross. So excruciating is pain that actually comes from being crucified. So the next time you stub your toe and you say, oh, that was so excruciating, mm, <laughs> I might want to rethink that, you know. Um, and so I think it's a picture of the extent at which God went to so that Will Schweitzer could be his. Now, what does that make Will think of? That makes Will think of, wow, what love is this? What a God this is. And so he died the most painful of deaths to redeem the most sinful of sinners. And for that, we say thank you. And nothing can impress God above that, right? Is that helpful? That's a great question. Craig? Oh, we got one, one right here, Craig. Hi there. Hey. I'm Will's uncle, right? Uncle, yeah. Exactly. Good to see you. Um, the word intended 
If Jesus wanted to walk by the boat, nobody in this room has any doubt that he could have. He was a man. He changed his mind. He decided to get in the boat was a better choice. And if you've ever had a project, you're ever doing anything, and you try and go against Jesus, or Jesus is not with you in your life in that project, you find out just how difficult that project can become. Sure. And this is more or less what you're teaching here today. Yeah. Jesus in your life makes life easier, not harder, because he's your way to God, which is the crucifixion, what he's trying to learn all about is. Awesome. Thank you. Great word, Craig. I'm not 100% sure if we had talked about it at the beginning, um, and my phone was dying, so I couldn't look it up. Do we know what was on the other side of Galilee, like what they were heading towards, and does that have any relevance? I could have just spaced out on that. Yeah, that's right. Well, I didn't make comment, but if you want to put that verse back up there, he was headed to um, Bethsaida, just another town. In fact, when they get there, they've got all this in the next part of the chapter 6 of Mark. Um, they, they, all these sick are there, and he's healing people, and it's, it's a big healing service, basically. Um, I don't know what bearing that has on this, uh, uh, but I know that that's where they were headed to Bethsaida. Do you have some thoughts on that? I just didn't know if perhaps that had to do with, you know, why three or six in the morning he'd be in such a hurry to get to the other side and leave him in the dust, or, (laughs) you know, if it was, I guess, what was on the other side, if that has an impact on his intention to pass them or if it was more like, well, just go to the next town, go to the next mm-hmm. town, like we've talked about before. So right. I don't know that I need an answer. I just right. had the question. I, I, just, <laughs> I just keep coming back to <clears throat> this. In the new covenant, he no longer passes us by. That's just so cool to me. Any other final comments, thoughts, Bob? To me... Um, I think one of the greatest things that Jesus teaches us is about getting in the boat, him getting in our boat. Mm. Um, I think before all this, the Jewish, you know, the people of Israel, you couldn't approach God at all. Like, you had to go through a high priest. Um, God was just not approachable by a common man. And that he would do this, like the one verse in there that says he sent them on before him and he went up to the mountainside to pray. I mean, to me, one of the most important things he teaches us is he is, even though he is almighty God, um, holy, we can still talk to him, you know, as we're going through these projects in our life or experiences and struggles and he wants us to, which that in itself is just amazing. But I wondered, like, did you have any thoughts about he went up to the mountainside to pray? Like, did he talk to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm going up and I'm, I'm going to pray. You guys go ahead. Or, Well, I mean, just what he says. I mean, I just pulled out my thoughts earlier of the three times he goes off to pray, huge things happen. And this 
is huge, not just the awesome miracle of walking on water, but what I think it's actually giving us a bigger picture of that in the new covenant, God now coming into us, making his abode with us. And when that happens, we actually fulfill the requirement of the law because God himself has fulfilled the law and he's now in us. And I mean, it's just light years beyond any sort of religious do better, try harder sort of teaching that I've ever been a part of. You know, it's just so refreshing. Um, yeah, so the, you know, when we talk about praying, you know, he even wants us to pray. You know, <clears throat> sometimes it's easy to talk to your wife. Sometimes it's hard to talk to your wife, you know, vice versa, you know. But but talking to your mate is the most natural thing, really, at the end of the day to do because they're your spouse. And let's remember that when we talk about Jesus we're compatible with him because we've been born of his spirit. And so it's not when we approach, when we talk to Jesus, when we're driving down the road, when we're sitting here about to eat some lunch, it's not, oh, Jesus, please, if you would not mind, hear my prayers, you know, that sort of timid. We actually, Hebrew says that we approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, because we have this advocate who is Christ. And it's, it's not a fear-driven sort of, you know, if I did enough, then maybe he'll listen to me. It is, we are actually bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We are compatible with him in every way. Which is unbelievable. Just simply unbelievable. On that note, I want us to go ahead and prepare for our Thanksgiving dinner, lunch. Um, my tummy's growling. I'm sure yours is as well. Uh, we can continue. I encourage us to talk around the tables after we get our food. Um, I think the line starts in the back there and works this way. Uh, drinks are in the back here. But I want us to do something very special before we, uh, at, at, at the first bite of our Thanksgiving dinner, I would love for us to celebrate the body and the blood of Christ, which Will just mentioned, um, in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jim Erskine made a very, very great point this morning that, you know, <clears throat> really when the disciples and Jesus were in the upper room, they, they didn't, you know, have a separate ceremony for the bread and the wine. Um, it was the meal, the meal itself. During the meal, they pulled out, you know, some, some bread and they pulled out, he passed the cup. And so I was thinking about us, like during our dinner, me grabbing a microphone and saying, hey, everybody grab some bread. Hey, everybody grab your, but I know many have to leave um, because you can't stay for the lunch. So let's just pretend we're in the middle of the meal, right? We can do that, right? We can pretend. Um, but Jesus, he took this bread um, and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken, broken. We talked about this last week of the feeding of the 5,000. And he says, eat this in remembrance of me. See, for so long, I came to the Lord's Supper in remembrance of me, Walt, in remembrance of my sin, and all the things that I thought separated me from God. But then I just started reading the scriptures, and it says, no, no, no. Do this in remembrance of Jesus, and the fact that he has taken away the sin that stands between us and him. So when we take this bread and we bring it into our bodies, it is a remembrance. It is reminding us that the body of Christ was broken and we by faith have received him into our innermost being. 
And He has taken away our sin. And there is nothing that is counted. God no longer counts our sins against us. For if He did, then what is the forgiveness of that sin? Jesus would have to die again and again and again. But He shed His blood once and for all. So let's take the bread. Let's eat the bread as a remembrance that we are forgiven, that we are complete. This excruciating death that Jesus died, He did it so that we would die with Him and be raised a new creation. And as you know, He passed around a cup and He said this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's important. The death of Jesus brought in the new covenant. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews 9. This blood is the blood of the new covenant. And once the blood was shed, the temple veil was torn, and this very thing that we've been talking about, this inability to access God, completely changed. Why? Because behold, the Lamb of God had taken away the sin of the world. And so I ask us to raise our cups in a toast to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has taken away our sins. So we drink this not in remembrance of our sins, what we did yesterday. We drink this in remembrance of Jesus Christ who hung on that Roman cross. And as his blood shed and as he died, he died taking away our sin. And we say, wow, thank you, Jesus. Father, as we pray for our meal We, Father, just say thank you. Thank you for the fact that you were in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to yourself, not counting our sins against us. I pray, Father, and as we enter into this time of eating and fellowshipping, Father, that, and as we leave here, you'd remind us all the more of what this new covenant really is about. Jesus Christ is in us to give us what we could never achieve on our own. And that is perfect obedience. We've been made, Romans 6, obedient from the heart. Our nature now is obedience. We are partakers of the divine nature. It's who we are. And I just pray that it becomes so real to us this week that we actually just live in this world as we already are in your kingdom. Thank you for all the hands that prepared our food but we thank you for the hands of Jesus that were stretched out so that we could have life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.